What is the one thing that you must have in order to please God? If you boil everything down and there's one thing you've got to have in order to please God, what is that? Faith. Very good. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not difficult, not kind of hard, impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And you see, your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Um, There used to be this thing on Channel 7 News, the power of prayer. And that kind of bothered me. And, And now I'm seeing a lot of signs around that say, prayer, our only hope. The problem with that is, what if you're not praying to the right God? If you study world religions, you'll find that every world religion prays to a God, lowercase g, lowercase g. That means not an all-powerful God. And if you study these world religions, you find out that their gods, lowercase g, cannot coexist with other gods. If one of these religions is right, it means all the others are wrong. And so when when you talk about the power of prayer, make sure you talk about the power of God. The one who died, was laid in a tomb, who was raised from the dead, never to die again. See, now you make a choice. You've heard me say this before. You may choose to follow a dead guy, and that is your prerogative. But I'm going to choose to follow the only founder of a world religion who ever came back from the grave, never to die again. I kind of figure he has a better take on what happens on the other side of the grave than the dead guys who are still in the grave. So don't talk to me about this power of prayer unless you pray to the right God. And then there's unlimited resources, unlimited power if you pray in His will. Now today we're going to be looking at um, Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews was written because the Jews were being tempted. The Jews at the time, of, uh, right after the time of Jesus, the Jews are being tempted to go back into Judaism, into religion, and they're being tempted to follow and identify Moses as their leader. And so Hebrews was written to, to show that, that not everything you see lasts forever. And so we get this definition from Hebrews 11.1, 1, not actually a definition. This is the results of what faith is. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Against this type of thinking of seeing the visible and, and, and focusing on the visible, here's what he says. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. How many of you here believe that electricity is real? I was reminded of the reality of electricity sometime this last year. Some idiot um, was mowing back here at the back and bumped into this little outside receptacle. And it's a GFCI, which is the ground fault circuit interrupter plug and and cracked the thing. And so then water got in and it fried it. Some idiot. I don't know who the mower was, but it wasn't Caleb. Um, So, so, uh, it, it controls some very vital equipment back there. I won't go into that because it's just kind of gross. But it controls some equipment. It wasn't working. So I decided to go back there and fix this GFCI. So I had to take the old one off. But if you knew where our breakers were in the back, you'd understand why I didn't go turn off the breaker. Bad mistake. Because I was, I was being very careful. See, because there's, there's, a, there's a hot wire and there's a neutral. And you can touch one all you want to. As long as you don't touch the other. 
And so I was being very careful. I'm sitting back there and I'm taking this off, unscrewing this, and I wrap it around. I don't know exactly what happened, but somehow my fingers came in touch, in, in contact with the hot wire and the neutral at the same time, and I got a buzz all through my body. And, and I, I jumped and I looked around and I was praising God, number one, that I was still alive because Janie almost killed me for doing that anyway, and that no one saw because the dudes over here at, at Trinity Diesel, man, they would have they would have been laughing at me because probably they've all been there. If you've ever been bitten by electricity, some people say, why is it? Why is it? Why do you say bit? If you ever get bit, you will understand and it will convince you of the reality of electricity. But I can't see electricity. Does that mean it's not there? If you're still not convinced, come see me after church and I'll take you to meet electricity. Now, how many of you are convinced that there is air? But you can't see it. You can see the results of it. What? <laughs> Depends on where you live. I grew up in the panhandle. Sometimes we thought we could see wind. That's true. All right, so you can't see the air that just filled up this balloon, right? But you can see the results of what the air did. If I let go of the balloon, what happens? Dude, we had an Olympics one time in our living room, tried to see who could shoot theirs the farthest. That's what mine did every time. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Just like air, God is there. You can't visibly see him. Now, we saw Jesus in, in, the, uh, uh, in the scripture. We know that Jesus walked on the earth. There's evidence that he walked on the earth. There were eyewitness evidence uh, who, who would give evidence that he walked on the earth. They wrote down all kinds of things. We know that he was a historical figure. People who weren't religious figures knew, said that there was a Jesus. There's writings about him. Nobody disputes that Jesus was a real figure at a certain time, but that was over 2,000 years ago. And so now sometimes people are saying, I don't see God, so I don't believe there is a God. There is a God whether you believe it or not. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. Just like air, God is there. Say that. We did that a long time ago with our kids too. That was the whole little Bible lesson with our balloons where I lost the race. Just like air, God is there. So we're going to talk today about what faith is, what real faith is. Number one on your listening guide. Faith is believing before I see it. Faith is visualizing the future in the present. It's seeing something in advance. It's being certain of what we do not see. True faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. So what I'm going to boil down faith to, faith is believing in God, not the power of prayer, the power of God, regardless of what I can see and how he's revealed himself to us in his word. Have you ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? You ever said that? God says, you got it backwards. Some things you have to believe it before you'll ever see it. Whether you're an architect planning a building, an Olympic athlete who's, who's trying to break a world record, or you're a scientist trying to send somebody to the moon, you have to believe it's possible before you ever see the results that it's possible. You dream in advance and you see that, that somewhere down the line it's going to be possible before it ever happens. The Bible says faith is believing even when I don't see it. Now, how many of you were at New Life Community Church in January of 2002? Let me see your hands. No one? Why weren't you there? 
It didn't exist then. At the last Sunday in January, I, and, and I get in trouble for saying another church in town, so I'm just going to say it today. I resigned from Southside Baptist Church here in town. Not that that matters. That's what, people give me a hard time. Why do you say another church in town? And mainly it's the band. Anyway, so I resigned from, from Southside Baptist Church the last Sunday in, in January 2002, and Janie and I prayed and agonized for five long months about what I was going to do. I even went and, and swept floors. Uh, me and, and uh, you've heard me say this before, me and, and three Hispanic guys who did not speak English, you know, and it was people would come in, the, the, all the contractors would come in doing the air conditioning work and all this stuff, and I'm sweeping floors, and, and they're just kind of looking like, one of these things is not like the other. And uh, I'm, I'm, dude, I, I can't communicate to them and me, and it's always oh, just hysterical. Unless you've got a, a uh, degree, unless you've got a master's degree, unless you're supposed to be, and, and I'm sweeping floors for seven bucks an hour. And Janie and I were trying to figure out what in the world we were going to do, and we prayed, and eventually we felt like God wanted us to start New Life Community Church. So in June of 2002, we started this church. We didn't have a clue what the future would hold. Janie said to me, I don't want to look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and wonder what might have been if we hadn't started this church. And man, we started off on this crazy journey and we didn't know what the future would hold, but we believed that God holds the future and that he would see us through. And who knew in 2010, 2002, that we would be sitting here in 2011 in the old skating rink? God knew. We didn't know. God knew. But someone had to believe it in advance and now you're sitting in it. Because someone had, had faith that God would lead us. No matter where, God would lead us and He would provide for us. And He's provided every step of the way. Janie and I sit back and look sometimes and we go, God provided here, God provided here. There's evidence that God provided. We can see what He's done. We can see people in the, in the service today. I can look at people, I pray for you all the time, and I'm amazed that God is working in your life and what He's done in you and the radical change that you've made and if you were far from God, if you're far from God today, we built this church. We started this church for you. If you're one of those who's, who's closer to God today than, than you've ever been, we started this church for you because we felt like we had to reach a certain segment of people that nobody else was reaching. And God has been faithful and I can see what he's done. I can't see God in flesh, Jesus Christ in flesh, but I can see the results in your life. And it keeps me going. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, it keeps me going because what we're doing matters. Not just for now, but forever. Faith is believing before I see it. It's also number two, obeying before I understand it. When my kids were little, my kids are uh, 16, almost said the wrong, 16, 14, and 11 right now. Hannah will be 12 in, uh, no, she'll be 11. She is 11. Rachel will be 14. God. I always say that, though, and I, and I keep them the same spot apart. Rachel will be 14 in May. Hannah's 11. Caleb's 16. Um, when my kids were little, we would play out in the yard. And I would say to my children, don't go in the road. Now, I've seen and I'd read. Years ago, I read about somebody who's, who every time they would tell their kids not to do something, they would do it, and they would think it was real cute. And, and they'd say, come here, and the, and the kid would run away, and they'd say, oh, isn't that cute, and they would chase him. I read, before my kids were ever born, I read about a child who the parents said, come here, and the child ran away, ran into the street, was hit by a car and killed. And I thought, that will never be my child. And people always told me, oh, you're not going to be so hard on your kids. You don't know. And I'm like, okay, whatever. 
I'll show you. When, when my kids were in the front yard and I said, don't go near the road, did they understand? Because, I mean, here's a big old runway. If you're a kid, where would you rather play? I mean, that's a great balls roll out there and your skates roll, or at least they used to before they resurfaced our road. Now we hate our road. Used to be real smooth and you could rollerblade out there, do all kinds of stuff. But I told my kids, don't you go on the road. And I expected immediate obedience. And when they didn't obey, I lit their little booties up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I used to joke that, that Caleb's verse was, though you beat him with the rod, he will not die. <laughs> that's a promise of scripture right there. And I didn't beat him, but I lit him up so that when my children would be running around and, and they'd get, I'd say, don't go near the road, they would immediately walk back. Now, did my kids understand why you don't go in the road? Not at the time. I didn't care if they understood. I wanted obedience. So does your heavenly father. Exhibit A is Noah. Ever heard of Noah? Everybody's heard of Noah. You remember we read verse 6 when we first started. Verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The very next verse contains Noah's name and it says this. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about, the, about things that had never happened before. This is on your listening guide, right? Circle faith and obeyed. And I want you to draw a line between those two because the Bible says faith and obedience go together. Obeying before I understand it. Now, if you were Noah, you probably would have had all kinds of questions about this. We don't know exactly where Noah lived um, because the Bible doesn't tell us. It tells us where the, uh, the ark ended up, but it was in a mountain range. We're not sure. People think it's on Ararat today. And, and it did say Ararat, the, the mountain range of Ararat, but we don't know the specific location. We don't know where he was, but if you're Noah and something has never happened before, don't you think you might have some questions? Don't you think he would say, um, God says, I want you to build a big boat, a big ark, because it's going to flood. And, and Noah has probably heard about boats. But, but he says, what's a flood? And God says, well, when it's, it's when it rains a lot. It had never rained before. So Noah's like, what, what's rain and what's a flood? And God says, it's like when I take a lake and I drop it on your head. And Noah goes, oh, okay. And God says, build this big old honking boat. Now, if you were Noah and God says, build this 450 foot long monstrosity in your front yard. I got two 17 foot boats that my wife wants out of my yard. Can you imagine 450 feet long? Don't you think there'd be some questions? But because Noah had faith, he obeyed. It did not make sense. God says, I want you to build this boat right here in the middle of the dry land and I'm going to bring the water to you. And Noah did it. And God blessed him and he... And he Save the race through Noah and his sons and their wives. Last year, we were uh, about to do this Building a Great Life series. And last year, it was a whole eight-week series. I'm not going to take you through the whole eight weeks. This is just a refresher course because it's a year later. And a lot of you have come and weren't here last year when we went through this. But last year, in the middle of this Building a Great Life series, we were about to take up a huge offering. Remember, we had money that we had to pay to, for uh, this land over here. We'd bought two acres next to us, and that was before we had the expanded parking lot and all this stuff. And we were doing this big series, and right in the middle of it, I was studying the, the, uh, the study Experiencing God. And I remember I was sitting at my desk at home, and I just finished my study for that morning, and I was kind of praying, and I was looking through some of the cards, and I felt like God say, uh, I want you to go to Haiti. And I said, mm -mm. This was about five weeks, four or five weeks after the earthquake. 
And somebody in our church said, you know, we need to, the big offering we're going to take up at the end of February, we need to give 10% of that to relief, disaster relief in Haiti. And I said, I think you're right. I think God would be honored by that. And God just kept on saying to me, Haiti, Haiti. over." And I was going, God, I, I, I don't understand. And so then I just, some of y'all were here that day. And I said, I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to trust you to help me with this. I said, I think God's calling us to go to Haiti. 20 people stayed after church that day and, and sat up here and said, I think I'm supposed to go. We ended up taking 12, but that response had showed me that we were supposed to go. We went to Haiti. It was unbelievably poor and, and uh, in horrible conditions. And their, their building supplies and their building methods are primitive. And, and we went and we absolutely fell in love with the Haitian people. And I told our group before we came back and I told the church that Sunday we came back. As long as I'm alive, we will keep going back to Haiti because God has called us. He's called me. He's called this church to go. Right now, we have over 20 people signed up to go this year. Cost is going to be about $1,550 per person. And a lot of people are going, it does not make sense. I do not have that money in my bank account, but I feel called of God to go. So the question is, are you going to obey in advance? Are you going to obey even though it doesn't make sense? Noah did. Exhibit B was Abraham. I love Abraham. He comes up in verse 8 of chapter 11. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God uh, when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Now, ladies, you say this a lot about us, but usually men know where they're going. This is the first time in recorded history that, you know, he said God only knows and he was telling actual literal truth. When Abraham said, I don't know where we're going. God only knows. He was 75 years old. And he lived in this place, what's modern day Iraq. He lived in this place called Ur of the Chaldees. And he's just about ready to retire. Social security. I don't think they had it then. But God goes, oh, no, no, no. You're about to have social insecurity. I'm about to take you on the adventure of a lifetime. And I'm sure if you were Abraham, you might have a few questions. Where are we going to go, God? And God says, well, I'll show you. How long will it take to get there? God says, don't worry about that. How will I know when I'm there? God says, I'll tell you. And Abraham goes, okay, I'll go. Would you do it? If God called you to do something that made no sense to you. I was thinking about this. I've been in my house 15 years. And I was thinking, you know, when I get to 75, if if God says, Doug, it's time to go to a land I'm going to show you. I certainly hope I'll say, okay, God. But I think God's going to call some of y'all to do something, if not today, in the near future, that might not make a lot of sense to you. And the question is, are you going to demonstrate faith, which is believing in advance? And faith is not this blind, ignoring. Faith is, I'm going to base everything in my life on God's word because it's written down and everything that God's done in the history of his people from Jesus Christ until now, I'm, I'm basing my faith in God who always does what he says. That's what faith is. So even though it may not, you may not be able to see how God's going to provide, God already sees the end and God's just waiting to see if you are going to obey, if you're going to respond to him and believe beforehand. Faith always involves risking. In the New Testament, there are 1,050 commands of scripture. And every time God gives you a command, you have to make a decision. Am I going to trust God 
or am I going to trust my gut? Which one is it? Am I going to do what God tells me to do? Am I going to do the right thing or am I going to do what I think is the right thing? You remember when you were a kid and your parents told you to do something and you thought, my parents don't know Jack, right? They're old. They don't know. I see, my, I see that going through my kids' minds when I tell them something. I'm like, dude, I've been around. Girls, I've been around. They're like, yes, sir. When you got older, though, you could look back and you can see that maybe your parents were right. And maybe the reason they told you to do something or not to do something was because they loved you and wanted the best for you. God is so much wiser than your parents. And God wants the best for you. When you ignore what he tells you to do, the Bible says you're being a fool. When you ignore God's word, which has 95% of what he wants you to do in life is in God's word. When you ignore it, he says you're a fool. Because are you hurting God when you don't obey? As if a little ant, you know, as as if their decisions really impact me greatly. How much less do your decisions impact a holy, omnipotent God? When you ignore what God says, it hurts you. For example, it doesn't make sense when somebody hurts you, when somebody offends you. The Bible says, forgive them. Is that logical? What is the logical thing to do? Get even. Hurt them back. Hurt them worse than they hurt you. Depends on how mean you are. That's what's logical. But God says, you're not even forgiven. You're not even worried about them. You're forgiving for you so that you're not tied to them the rest of your life. You don't want to be tied to someone who hurt you. You want to be free to do what God wants you to do. You want to be free to experience the, the incredible relationships that God wants you to have in the future, not be tied to your past. So God says you forgive for you, and that doesn't make any sense. But if you learn to do what God tells you to do, He can bless you. And in fact, the foundation for building a great life is this faith. The reason so many Christians live weak and powerless lives is because they don't have this foundation of faith in who God says He should be and who God says He is and what God says He will do. We don't have faith. Faith is believing before I understand it. Number three, faith is giving before I have it. God uses finances to test us. Now, those of you who, who tithe or who give regularly, let's just say that, cover a whole lot of people. Those of you who do that, have you ever in your, in your history of walking with God, have you ever had to decide between paying a bill and, and writing your check for your tithe? Let me see your hand. I see that hand. I was wondering if Janie was going to raise her hand. Yeah. Um, it's a test. God is saying, do you trust me to do what I say I'm going to do? God's saying, do you trust me when I say, if you give to me first, I will take care of all your needs? Do you really trust me? God says this whole financial thing is a test. The very first guy mentioned in chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is the hall of fame of faith in the Bible, first guy who's mentioned, his name is Abel. Abel didn't do anything great. We have no list of a great accomplishment attached to Abel's name. All he did was give an offering. And he's the first guy mentioned in Hebrews 11. And it wasn't what he gave. It wasn't the amount he gave. It was how he gave it. Look at verse 4. It was faith that made Abel's offering to God a better sacrifice than Cain's. Cain was his brother. Through his faith, God approved of his giving. Three words. I want you to circle and kind of 
Draw a line together. Faith, offering, and giving. Tie all of those things together. Because the Bible says that finances and faith are intricately linked. It wasn't the amount, but the attitude. God doesn't care about the amount you give. And some of you are going, yes! It's the attitude with which you give it. Or the poor way you give it. Or the fact that you don't give it that concerns God. See, there's two ways you can give. You can give by fear or you can give by faith. And we'll call that reason or revelation. Fear says, I'm going to look at, reason says, I'm going to look at my bank account and I'm going to look at everything that I have and I'm going to give what's left over at the end of the month. And, and how many of you have a just massive amounts of money left over at the end of the month? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. James does. He's lying. Um, that's giving by fear. That's giving by reason. Revelation or faith is you pray and you say, God, how much do you want me to trust you for this time? And that gets kind of scary, doesn't it? Because our money reveals where our heart is. All we have to do to figure out how close, how serious you are about God is look at your calendar and your checkbook or your debit card and we'll find out what's most important to you. And that scares most Christians to death because 10% is a lot of money. (laughs) Janie and I agreed before we ever got married, we talked about a whole lot of stuff. We talked about kids. We talked about whether she would work or raise kids. We talked about homeschooling and we talked about tithing. And we said, we'll tithe. May will be married 20 years, and there have been some times that, that we've had to make a choice between a bill and, and tithing because for most of those 20 years, we hadn't had much in the bank account. When we started this church, there were two months that the church couldn't pay us, and uh, we lived on less than $1,000 a month during those times. And there's all kinds of stuff that happened. We didn't go on vacations. We didn't eat out. We didn't go to the movies. We would go to... Um, uh, the, the library and, and check out movies. And we did all kinds of free stuff for the first three years of the church. We didn't have health insurance, but we trusted God and we tithed and we gave. And not once did my family go hungry. And you know, for two years, not one of my family members ever went to the doctor. Now you tell me that's a coincidence. And I'll tell you, no, it's not. That's God being faithful to provide. That's God saying, you can trust me in this area. I'll be personally... See, God says, wherever you put me first, whatever area of your life you put me first, God says, I will be personally involved in that area. I will provide for you because my name is at stake. Anybody can give when they've got excess funds. In fact, some people say, well, God, you give me first and then I'll give some back to you. God says, well, that's not really faith. Some people say, I've had youth in my youth groups through the years that would say, man, I am praying. I just believe God's going to help me win the lottery because then I've told God I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. Well, if you give after God gives it to you, then that's gratitude, but that's not faith. Anybody can believe when it's sitting right there in front of them. Anybody can obey when you already see the results. It's when you don't feel like it, when it doesn't make sense. When you don't have it, that's when you're exercising faith. God says, if you'll trust me, I'll bless you. And he says, let's play this little game. And the game comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This is how we get, this is where we get the name for our basket, the joy basket. 
God loves a cheerful giver. We've given it that name because we want to be reminded that this isn't something that if you feel pressured, you're not supposed to give. If you feel reluctant, you're not supposed to give because you don't get credit for it. But God loves a cheerful giver. And then look what it says. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And then look at this promise. And plenty left over to share with others. God says, it's right there. Are you going to trust me in this area? And most people say no. It's giving before I have it. It's also faith is persisting before I feel like it. Okay, ladies, this is free for, for single ladies. Married ladies, you're just stuck. Okay, so, um, so don't elbow, don't, don't use this. This is for the single ladies. Right here, number four. This is how you can tell if the guy that you're interested in is a man or a boy. Being a man is nothing about sexual conquests. Being a man is not about being proud and arrogant and boastful and all of that garbage. Being a man is about being committed. And if the dude you're interested in, in can't keep his commitments, run away. I took Hannah to the uh, breakfast yesterday. We had a date and we went to the Applebee's breakfast yesterday and I opened the door for her and she was all grinning. I said, what are you grinning for? And I said, are you grinning because I opened the door for you? And she goes, yes, sir. And, I, and so I came around and I got in the car. I said, this is a date, right? And she said, yes, sir. I said, isn't that how a boy is supposed to treat you? And she goes, yes, sir. And I said, you know, any boy that, that wants to go out with you has to come and ask me permission first, right? And she goes, yes, sir, I know that. And I said, if you don't like a boy and you don't want to go out with him, you tell me, I'll handle it. Yes, sir. Because Janie's dad didn't do that. Some dude was pestering her forever. And she said, well, you have to ask my dad. And the dude goes and asks her dad. And Janie just did not like this guy at all. And her dad goes, sure, you can go out with her. And Janie just went crazy. Are you kidding? He goes, hey, any guy who's got enough backbone to ask me, I can go out with you on a date. I said, I won't do that to you. But I'm going to be very, very picky about the men, or I should say boys, that I allow in my girls' lives. Because I want to see commitments. And they can be committed at 15, 16, 17 years old. Why can't they be? If they're not doing it then, I'm going to have serious doubts about how they're going to treat my daughter in the future. And I've got to see them every stinking holiday. A little bit of selfishness there. Mature people live by their commitments, not by their emotions. Do you always feel like being nice to people? You always feel like talking to people? Sometimes I don't feel like writing a sermon. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I don't feel like reading my Bible. Sometimes I don't feel like tithing. You know what I do in those times? I do what's right before God. Because it's not based on how I feel. It's based on the commitments I've made to God, to my family, and to this church. The only time you do what's right is when you feel like it. You have an enemy named Satan who will make sure you never feel like it. Successful people are ordinary people who do what average people refuse to do. Successful people are ordinary people who do what average people refuse to do. They don't feel like doing. Verse 27 of chapter 11, we get to Moses, big Mo. Faith led Moses to leave Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. Moses didn't give up, but continued as if he could actually see the invisible God. 
And here's the whole key to persistence. It's keeping your eyes focused on God. What do we do? We see a problem. Our problem gets huge and we focus on our problem and we worry, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we have an all-powerful God who not only created this world but can overcome even death. But we think that He can't handle our little problem. It's because we're focusing on the problem and not on our God. If you are in that situation, when you're overwhelmed, you know what you really need to do? You need to worship. Because worship is focusing on God. And the more you worship Him, the, the larger your vision of Him becomes, the smaller your problems then are in God's in, in relation to how big God is and how powerful God is. Some of you today, you're at the quitting point. You're ready to give up on your marriage. Or you're ready to give up on school because it seems too hard or your career or your dream or, or your hopes of ever getting married or some of you are hoping that you'll get out of marriage, whatever it is. Some of you feel like your health is hopeless. I'm never going to get any better. I'm tired of being sick. Some of you think your finances are hopeless. I'm never going to get out of debt and you feel like giving up. And God brought you here today to say this to you. Don't give up. Keep persisting even when you don't feel like it. And God will bring the answer in His time. When you're overwhelmed, worship. Number five, faith is thanking God before I receive it. Towards the end of, of the chapter, verse uh, 30, it says, It was faith that brought the walls of Jericho tumbling down after the people of Israel had walked around them seven days as God had commanded them. Moses had brought the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt and they'd wandered through the wilderness. They'd actually come to the promised land and they disobeyed. So they wandered around for 40 years. Now Joshua's in control and they're supposed to cross the Jordan River and they're supposed to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. That's the land that God promised Abraham all those years before. And he said, go into this land. Well, the first city that they came to was the most fortified city known to man. It was considered impenetrable. And so God tells them, to walk around the walls of Jericho. They have to conquer this. If they don't conquer Jericho, they're going to be vulnerable from behind as they go through the land. They have to do this one first. And so they walk around and God says, I want you to pray. And at first they have to go around in silence. And they went once a day. They walked around. They would go back to their camp. And you know the, the people in Jericho, they just thought they're nuts. This is not in any strategy. And these were slaves, ex-slaves. There's no way they were going to take this city, the most impenetrable city in history at that time. And then on the seventh day, they're supposed to walk around and they're supposed to have the priests out front. And then they're supposed to start singing and they're supposed to start praising God and thanking God in advance. And then at the end, at the signal, at the trumpet sound, they were supposed to shout. And you know what happened? It says the walls fell down. And it says that everyone came in straight away. And it means that from wherever they were, they attacked the city and they won. But they thanked God in advance. See, faith is not believing God can do something. God can do it whether you believe it or not. Your beliefs about God do not impact His power at all. Faith is not believing God will do something. That's hope. Faith is believing God is doing something right now even though I can't see Him. That's the invisible God. That God is doing stuff behind the scenes. That I trust God that He's always at work. Jesus said, my Father has been at work from the beginning till now. Jesus said, I too am at work. He's always at work and faith is saying, God, I don't see it, but I believe it because that's the foundation of my relationship with you. 
I believe God even though I can't see it. That's precious in God's sight. If you wait until a prayer has been answered to say thanks to God for it, is that faith? No. That's gratitude. Gratitude gratitude saying thank you God for what you did. But faith is thanking God before. So you pray something like this. You say, God, this is what I need. You know I need this in my life. It's a legitimate need. It's an honest need. And here's what I would like to challenge you to do. Whatever it is you need prayer for, whether it's your marriage or your finances or your children or whatever it is, I want you to go home and find a piece of paper somewhere. Stick it in your Bible or get a notebook. And I want you to pray today or whenever you do your prayer time. I want you to say, God, here is my legitimate need and write it down. Put the date on there, write it down. And then every day after that, I want you to say, God, I thank you in advance that you're already at work in this situation, even though I can't see it. I thank you that you're going to answer in this situation, God. And then I want to hear about it whenever God provides that answer. I want you to tell me. Some of the ways that we encourage one another is through when we've seen God answer prayer. So I want to hear about those things. Hebrews 11, 39, 40 says this. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Living by faith does not exempt you from problems. Lots of things in Scripture talk about you may go through difficulties. And when you go through difficulties, you need to discern. Is it because of my choice? Is it because of the choices of others? Others have sinned against me? Or is this just a time of testing that God has taken me through? Because sometimes God will take you through a test so that you'll become stronger. What would you be like if God removed every difficulty in your life? You'd be a spoiled brat and no one would want to be around you. God doesn't remove the problem. Sometimes God says, I'm going to leave the problem there, but I'm going to make you stronger. When you come through the problem, you'll look back and you'll be stronger. And you'll be able to help someone else who's in the middle of that situation. The Bible tells us that God comforts us in all our hurts and pains. You want to know why? It says it. So that we can turn around and help someone else in the same pain we just came through. God doesn't help you just for you. God helps you for the person who's coming behind you. And we've forgotten that as a church, as Christians. And I think that's why the next generation sees our faith as so weak and impotent. We come through. We stand firm in tough times. And then we can help someone else come through the same thing. Anybody can trust God when things are going great. Anybody can give when they've got extra money. Anybody can can persist if they see that deadline is right there, just two inches away. Well, I can make that. But where you get strong in your Christian life is when you go through the valleys. Jesus Christ suffered. If God's own son had to go through some difficulties, why do we think we shouldn't? What exempts us from difficult times? Because this life is not the end result. God says, I want to mold you and shape you for eternity. Because you're going to spend eternity with me. And your character is what you get to take to heaven. And so God is molding and shaping us. And he wants to know, are you going to persist? Are you going to thank me in advance? Are you going to give when you don't have it? Are you going to do those things? Are you going to whine and complain like immature children? 
Faith is like a muscle that has to be exercised, and there's two ways that God builds your faith. Number one, Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The more you read the Word of God, the more you hear the Word of God, the more you saturate your mind with the Word of God, it says that you will grow stronger in your faith, believing in things you cannot see because it's right there in black and white in your, in your Bible. So God builds your faith through hearing. Number two is in 1 Peter 1, 7. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. Now, I underlined this, these words. And your faith is far more precious to God than gold. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. Your faith is what matters to God more than anything else. And so he is going to allow you to face some situations that will strengthen you if you trust him. And if you don't learn the lesson, it seems like the lessons get harder. Why not learn them up front? I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to ask God this. What specific thing do you want me to remember from this message? Just ask him. And I think he'll point one of these out to you. God, what is it you want me to know from today? Ask him, God, do I need to believe before I see it? Do I need to obey before I understand it? Do I need to give before I have it? Do I need to persist when I don't feel like it, before I feel like it? Or God, are you asking me to thank you before I receive it? Father, make a difference in our lives because of our encounter with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.